What is up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to a brand new edition of the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He's Zach Meisel. You can find us on Twitter at TJ Zuppi, at Zach Meisel, and of course at Selby is Godcast, where we not only pass along links to all the podcasts that you want to catch each and every single week, where you can find where to subscribe to the podcast, how you can support the podcast, but also maybe occasionally we'll send out some tips on where to go get your haircut. What's up, Zach? <laughs> so I, I don't think this is that interesting of a story, but you keep urging me to <laughs> save it for the podcast. So <laughs> I, I'm back home for a few days after the the first I don't know three weeks or so of of spring training, and you know I plan my haircuts around this because I like many people I get my haircut at the same place. For years and years and years. But I got a terrible haircut before I went to Arizona. My barber was not in that day. I didn't know until I got there and some other guy cut my hair. It was extremely uncomfortable. And you know, the typical haircut takes, what, 20, 25 minutes? And after like maybe 10 minutes, this guy shows me my hair in the mirror. And I'm like, that's weird. Why are, <laughs> why are you showing me the halfway mark? Because it looked like that. Like there were certain parts that weren't cut short enough. There were other parts that were sticking out. <laughs> he was done. So I said, can you maybe like do a little shorter? And he like a few snips, a couple minutes later, that's it. Okay, whatever. I don't know what this is going to look like, but you know, you get home, you take a shower, maybe it works out. You never really know. I, I had a bad feeling about it. The other part is that <laughs> he skimped me on the, sh on the haircut, but then he pulls out this little back massager like, I had gotten up to go walk to the front of the barbershop. And he's like, wait, no, sit down. I'm not done yet. And I'm like, oh, you're going to cut the rest of my hair? Nope. He's going to pull out this little tool and give me, like, a 30-second back rub. It was the weirdest thing ever. And then when I did, I finally stood up and started walking away. He took one of those, like, little tiny, like, handheld brushes and just, like, brushed my shoulders with it. It was the weirdest thing ever. And then when I got home, I realized, oh my God, this haircut's just not going to work. It was, it, it was <laughs> awful. I kept finding hairs over the last month. How did you miss this? <laughs> I don't understand. So I could actually make this story even longer. The barbershop used to have another guy that cut my hair pretty well. Like I could go to either of these guys. He left like a year and a half ago. I don't know what barbershop he went to. I logged on to Facebook Somehow, I only knew his first name. Somehow, I, I was able to find him. Messaged him and said, so where are you working now? When are you in? I got a terrible haircut last week. I'm leaving for Arizona <laughs> in two days, and I just needed to be touched up and fixed. He's like, yeah, come on in. Uh, here's where I am. The place is like a half hour away. The day before I go out to Arizona, I drive a half hour to this place. I go in. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't see my guy. Where is it? Like, one of the people was like, can I help you? And I'm like, is, is Jimmy in? He's like, oh, he's off today for his son's birthday. And I'm like, you have to be freaking kidding me. <laughs> so after all of that, I'm going to go to Arizona looking like Sideshow Bob. And uh, it was just, it was a disaster. And my hair, like, no one cares about this. And I, I apologize because I know people want to hear us talk Francisco Lindor and they're turning it off. And I, I still don't think this is that good of a story. But my hair was like over my ears in Arizona and like sticking out <laughs> everywhere. And it was just... It was so bad. So I, I had a, a little break here in the middle of spring training where I go home. And literally the first thing I did when I got home was go get a haircut. And my guy was there. But I walk in and my guy was finishing up with someone else. 
and the guy who gave me a haircut last time was there today. Oh, no. I walk in. He immediately stands up. I'm like, I think I'm going to wait for Kevin today. <laughs> uh, so it was... It's just, it's been a stressful well, month. Slides his back massager back into the <laughs> compartment in front of him. It's, Have you ever experienced that? The back massage thing? Like, is that never, a thing? Never, never. I don't, I don't go to the elaborate barber. I don't drive 35 minutes out of my way. I don't try to go to the kid's birthday party to get the haircut because I'm that anxious to get it before spring training. I don't do any of those things. I just go get a quick haircut from best cuts, great clip. I don't know what the hell it is. Just the place down the street that I check in online. I'm in and out of there in 15 minutes and whatever, we're done. I don't get my hair cut that often. I think it was an important story to tell, though, because everybody at one time or another has had that moment where they're in the barber chair getting their hair cut and they glance up and they say, oh, no, oh, no, what has happened? (laughs) So, I mean, there are ways to fix a haircut, but there are also damages that can only be done through time. I'm curious if you are the sort of person, do you watch the person cutting your hair as it's happening? Me, I look down at the floor. I already think it's awkward enough when I have to look up and look at the person in the eyes, but through the mirror. And then I I get caught looking at the person across the way. Am I looking at them? Am I looking at their haircut? There's just way too many awkward places to look. So I'm usually looking straight down. And then I will glance up to see the final product, whatever it ends up being. I can't watch it in progress. There's no way I can do that. (laughs) So uh, I mean this with all sincerity. The thing in my life that gives me the most anxiety is, (laughs) is going to the barbershop. My my buddies and I discuss this all the time because a bunch of us still go. It's our hometown where we go in Solon. I still go there and shout out Carl's barbershop. You're getting quite the plug today. Number one, I drive 35 minutes there. So (laughs) it's, 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 it's an entire day. It takes, it's an event. Number two, I have no idea, because they don't take appointments, if am I going to have to wait two minutes? Am I going to have to wait an hour and a half? That's a big deal. And so it's not something I can just be like, oh, I'm going to go grab a quick haircut and then go to the ballpark. Like, no, this is like, you take the day off. And number three, like what happened last month, I never know who is going to be working. And if I get stuck driving all that way, and then I'm there, and the only person who's going to cut my hair is standing there with a creepy smile and a back massager. <laughs> what, what am I supposed to do? So it's, uh, it gives me so much anxiety. And, and yeah, the, the, the good thing is I don't – like, I think because the same guys cut my hair for a number of years now, so I'm not, I'm not worried about it. But I will say they have something good on the TV at all times. Today it was Curb Your Enthusiasm. Um, a couple of years ago, it was Impractical Jokers, which I had never seen before and then became obsessed with. So that usually takes my attention away. The one thing that Indians fans have to hope a couple of years from now is that their shortstop isn't standing there with a creepy smile and is a <laughs> facsimile of the guy that was playing shortstop for them at an all-star level, an MVP caliber level for a couple of, uh, for many years, actually, in Francisco Lindor. And that conversation's not going away you know, I wrote about it today. You wrote about it today. Everybody and their mother wrote about it today. Probably I'm so Facebook. sick of writing about it. I know, but it's not going away. And every time there is something that could even be remotely linked to Francisco Lindor, everybody's going to take advantage of that because it, the Indians are really <laughs> in a position right now where it's really easy to slam dunk on them, whether you're writing an article or doing it on Twitter. Yesterday, you had the news of Christian Yelich 
close closing in on or nearing or agreeing to an extension with the Brewers, and the Brewers are a smaller market team keeping their star. The Indians are a team that are shop that have has been shopping their star throughout the winter, and there's conversations of him going elsewhere, and there's really no traction or reason to believe that an extension is possible. So it became today's easy way to link and talk about Francisco Lindor, but I just. The problem I had with that is just there's not other than the fact that you're talking about stars and smaller markets, there's just no other comparisons between these two subjects. If your point was the Indians can't afford Francisco Lindor, it should absolutely find a way to make that happen in some way, shape or form, whether that's adjusting the rest of the roster or just finding some way to keep this marriage going. If that was your general point, I got a problem with that, but that's a fine enough point to make on its own you can just stand with that statement you don't have to look for ways to to talk about it and i didn't think that the brewers yelich conversation when compared to lindor ultimately had that much of a comparison a bunch of people have said it it's like if lindor would be willing to accept a seven-year 195 million dollar extension well i think the indians would jump all over that like but this is these are these are different cases. If you want to use the baseline of it to say, like, the Indians should be more willing. Like, like the Indians, the gr- biggest contract they've ever given out was Encarnacion. Three for 60. And they like, didn't even make you, it all the way through it. Right. So if you want to use the baseline and say, like, but you can't even say they should spend. Like, the Brewers, the Brewers payroll is just about what the Indians is. It's a few million more. Um, and we don't know how Yelich making... 27 million a year instead of 15 million a year is going to change their payroll. It might not, you know, keep in mind, like they let Yasmani Grandal go. They let Mike Moustakis go. They replaced them with, you know, uh, Brock Holt and Eric Sogard who aren't making much. So uh, it's, it's, I think I, it's, it's not apples to apples. I think I compared it blueberries to oranges. Like it's, this is, this is different. And, and I don't know what Christian Yelich's disposition has been toward wanting to just remain in Milwaukee, taking a hometown discount, all of that. We know a little bit about Francisco Lindor's stance in which he has said, I won't take a hometown discount. He has said he'd love to stay in Cleveland, but he'd also, he also said like he's going to extract every cent he can get out of whatever team is going to pay for him. So that's why I really think this has all been a song and dance. I think both sides are smart. Both sides are posturing. Both sides don't want to be the bad guy. And, and you know, that's why you're probably not going to get a resolution until there's a trade or he leaves in free agency. The thing that I don't think has been discussed enough, maybe we all realize it, but just aren't acknowledging it out loud enough, is that even if the Indians presented him with a $300 million contract, $350 million contract, I don't know that Lindor is going to sign that today. He might look mm-hmm. at what the Indians are offering. And it's not because he dislikes playing in Cleveland. It's not because he's lying when he says that, that he would, wouldn't mind staying here. I, I believe him when he says he wouldn't mind staying with the Indians organization so long as he continues to get paid like he should get paid or he feels like he should get paid. And I got nothing to hold against him. Uh, that's his prerogative. That's the way the game is set up. And go get your money. If you're worth what everyone is willing to pay you. And he might think... Well, if the Indians are willing to give me $300 million, what will somebody else be willing to give me? I would like to, from thinking from his perspective, he might be saying, I would like to go through the free agent process and just experience it. Just see what it's like to be courted, to have other teams tell you what they think that you're worth. Just to go through that experience of being wanted. There are some people that just enjoy that and want to be part of it. doesn't sound like Christian Yelich was too much into that. He 
wanted to get the guarantee now and liked playing in Milwaukee, and the situation made sense for him. So good for him. He found a place that he wants to be. He signed the contract or is apparently nearing signing the contract, and, and he's all thumbs up from his point of view. I don't know if that the motivation is the same for Francisco Lindor. None of us ultimately know that. Only Lindor knows that. So we could be sitting here today saying the Indians should offer him a massive mega contract. And we can get into the, the legitimacy of whether or not they should in a minute. But that doesn't mean that he's going to sign it here today. Yeah, I, so I think like the Yelich thing, too, we should mention Yelich was going to be a free agent at 31. Lindor is going to be a free agent right after he turns 28. Uh, Yelich was already signed to this below market value deal. Lindor is going through arbitration where you get, you know, as close to market value as you can before you hit free agency. The, the Yelich thing to me seems more like Jose Ramirez because Ramirez is going to be 31 when he becomes a free agent and he's been tied to this ridiculously inexpensive contract for a while and continues to be for the next four seasons. We've talked about this so many times and I know neither of us like wanted to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about Lindor contracts and ownership again because it's all we've talked about for years, it seems. Why do you think we started talking about haircuts? God. <laughs> but, I mean, I had this conversation with my barber today, but it's like he seemed like he has always <clears throat> wanted to go to free agency. You know, he had the signing bonus out of high school. He became the face of New Balance. He's never been desperate to just grab the first contract thrown his way. It's why he declined the $100 offer a few years ago. It's why nothing has gotten done yet. And it's why Chris Antonetti has said, like, we might have to get creative in, in how we approach this. And why he has said, normally I don't talk about this sort of shit, but it's Francisco Lindor and we got to make sure that it doesn't look like to the fans that we're just like, no, we're not going to sign him. Go on your merry way. Goodbye. There's a lot that goes into this. The interesting thing, though, and I know someone asked us this on Twitter today, I think, what, Futorius? They always ask really poignant questions. Give them credit. Uh, they, they ask, like, is it legitimate when they say, you know, I don't want this to be a distraction during the season, or is it just leverage and contract talks? I think it's, it's a little of both. I mean, I, I think it's different when you're talking about the magnitude of the contract he's going to get. You know, if you're giving this guy 10 years, $350 million, that's not something your agent just negotiates for you at lunch. Like, this is something that takes many back and forths. It's something, I mean, it sounded like Yelich and the Brewers were talking all winter. Lindor would certainly be part of those conversations. So if you're trying to do that during the season, I do think it's tricky, and I do think it can be a distraction, and I do think he wants to not think about it at all once the season starts. I mean, he said early March. Well, look at your calendar. We're there. At the same time, I do think that is a little bit of leverage because you kind of put pressure on the team to pony up before, like, while they still have a chance. Um, and, you know, you get to the season and then it's you just focus on how you're playing. As we talked about, if they get to midseason and they're 12 games out of the division, it's going to make a lot more sense to trade him than to just waste his, you know, a full season of him in Cleveland. And if they are having these conversations over lunch, you know, here's the thing. Chili's is the new golf course. It's where business happens. <laughs> Someone's According watching the office. Small Businessman magazine. I'm like going a third, fourth time through. I don't know what it is at this point. But it doesn't mean that there aren't conversations to be had about the Indians and their their willingness or unwillingness to to talk the sort of numbers that are realistic for Lindor. 
to be in a realistic ballpark, you need to eclipse three hundred million dollars. That's that's the first step. You could, I I don't think this is a, a planet in the solar system where two hundred million, two hundred fifty million dollars is working for him. I think the starting point of legitimate territory where he might actually start to listen to you is is north of three hundred million dollars. Speaking of nine, which, ten years. This- this would be a good time to mention again. If you want to support the podcast, you can go over to Anchor. Um, <laughs> Do I want five hundred million dollars? Of course, everybody wants five hundred million dollars. A, a billionaire wants five hundred million dollars. That was an interesting to, quote from him, according to Francisco Lindor. I felt like he picked five hundred because he wanted it to sound. And this was something he said back at TribeFest, and when he was talking in a, quite a few circles. But I think the more you listen to it, the more you kind of understood where he was coming from. I felt like he threw out the $500 million thing because it was clearly bigger than the ask that he has. So it had to be something that kind of swayed your attention. But he needed to get far enough away from the actual number that he would agree to. So 500 had to sound crazy, but it had to be distant enough also from the number that he has in his head. Absolutely. Don't, don't, don't let him fool you. He has some numbers in his head that, that would spin his head around and, and, and actually make him pay attention. Well, it's like when you when you're trying to trade someone in HBD. You let's say you've got the veteran and you're trying to trade him for prospects. You make an outrageous ask at first. They say no. Let's say you asked for three stud prospects. They say no. They're uncomfortable with that. It's too much. Then you come back and say, okay, just give me the two. Just give me these two prospects. And then boom, done. They'll do it because it doesn't seem nearly as outrageous as the three, but even the two is probably a good deal for you. I, I think from actual legitimate contract figures that I've seen thrown out so far, I think once you get into $300 million territory, you have a legitimate shot. But I still, just based on my outlook overall from, from the outside, I, I still don't think there's a scenario here where the Indians presented with a contract tomorrow, even one that's, that is approaching you know, $300 million that he's going to agree to. But the conversation that I think is, is more pertinent now and maybe more interesting is, should the Indians even consider that? You can look through and see all these teams that have never won the World Series with a uh, you know, certain player making X amount of the, t- the team's overall payroll. It's just not a smart way to go about building a team. I know all of the pitfalls of doing something like With the way that the Indians have done business in the past, and if they kind of operate in the same way, there's no way that they can justify paying Francisco Lindor 40% of the of their salary or whatever it ends up being because it's going to be too difficult to put the team around him to continue being good. That's what, if you think about this logically, that's the conclusion it leads you to. But wouldn't it be fun to see the Indians actually give him that sort of contract? And knowing that the front office, you think they're smart, you think your, your player development system is good. You think you've got a good pipeline in place of pitching and, and younger position players way far down on the, in the minor league levels. Wouldn't it be fun to kind of challenge your front office and say, we're giving you now a guy that in his prime is going to be worth six wins a season, if not more, maybe up to seven wins a season when he's healthy, and probably projects to stay pretty good up to his late 30s, I would imagine. Wouldn't it be fun to see if the front office could build around a player like that, even knowing the limitations that they might have from a a financial standpoint? I keep coming back to it, Zach, and thinking to myself, I know all the reasons why they shouldn't do it, but screw that. I kind of want to see them do it and put the rest of the team, the front office, and the organization to the challenge to build around somebody like that and maintain one of the best 
players in baseball? Not only players and talents, but also personalities. So I think it's a little deeper than that. Two things. Number one, we should also mention the fact that the CBA is up the same offseason that he becomes a free agent. That could have quite a significant impact on all of this. And number two, I think it's a moot point because I don't think... Here's the issue to me. If you give him, let's say, 30... Three million a year, and you keep your payroll at ninety million. I think that's going to be impossible. I, I I think even for this front office, I think for the best front office in the world, I don't. I just think it's really really difficult because they want to avoid rebuilding. Well, then you're going to have to draft and sign international free agents like none other, and they've done a good job with developing and on the international market. They've been okay at drafting, I guess, but. The point is, it's just I, I think it's too tall of an ask. And I think the deeper issue here is that if you do that, then you're going to have to trade Clevenger this winter. You're going to have to decline Santana's option or pick it up and trade him like you did Kluber. You're going to have to make decisions like that, and it's going to leave you really thin. And if you think your margin for error is small now, it's going to be even smaller. And it's going to be like that. Hold on. While I'm thinking of it, isn't letting Francisco Lindor walk a a similar sort of hard decision that you have to make? How how is that different than you might have to trade Clevenger a few years from now? You might have to to let Santana go. Well, because if, I mean, Lindor's going to make $25 next year. So I I think there's a good chance that he's traded before next season. If he's not... I'm interested to see what the payroll is. So the the secondary point here and kind of the broader context I wanted to provide is if you sign Lindor to the mega contract and bump up the payroll to, I don't know, 110 and give yourself a little bit of wiggle room, basically keep the team as it is now, but give Lindor more money. I think you can work within that. But I think it's going to be really, really difficult if you keep it where it is now at 90 and give Lindor more than a third of that. That's really tough. And the problem with it is, is that the payroll is at 90 because ownership is saying we lose money every year. And if you lose money every year and you kind of point to attendance as part of that and revenue, but you keep you you sign Lindor and you create this team that. Like, how are you going to win a World Series? Your, your plan is just going to be to, like, be a solid team and hope to get hot every year. But that's not going to draw more fans. That's not going to bring you more revenue. <laughs> but how and is that different is, than what they're doing right now? It's not. But I'm just saying I think it's more risky. It's easy to say, okay, you were able to build a, a 90 uh, – you were able to build a good team on a $90 million payroll with Lindor making peanuts and now finally making $17 million. That's fine, but you've already seen like we, we've been screaming for months and months into the abyss, saying, "Hey, maybe you need a little more depth in your in your bullpen and in your outfield, and you know on your bench." And it it goes unanswered because they don't have money. And my point is just I, the the larger problem here, and the one unanswered question that would at least have a trickle down effect and give us some answers to some other things is why do you own the team if you're losing a bunch of money every year? Because don't you, if you want, like that, that's what has never added up and why this isn't going to add up is because 
if it's such a burden to own the team that you can't make that one extra effort to add to a team that's already good but definitely could use a kick in the ass, then what's it going to be like when you're giving Lindor more money? And like I, this stuff all goes together. And I know someone bitched that we talk about ownership every time, and I don't want to, but it's like everything relates back to it. Like opening day hasn't sold out. It's been 10 days since tickets went on sale. And I don't think that's just because fans are giving the middle finger to ownership. I also don't think it's because it's in March and it might be cold, even though it's normally on like April 1st. Like, I don't think there's a difference there. I think it's a bunch of different reasons. But you certainly like didn't help yourself with ticket sales over the winter or last winter. And it's like all this shit goes together. And I think both sides pointing the finger at the other side, the customer's always right. Even I know attendance isn't awesome. But ownership can't just be like, well, fans aren't showing up and we're not getting enough support, so we're not making enough revenue, so we're going to clamp down on the payroll. And it's like, well, then that's not going to help your case. And then you're not going to be able to sign Lindor or you're not going to be equipped to handle, you know, any first half injuries. And then you're going to corner yourself into having to trade him midseason. Like it's, it's just so tiresome. And I don't think there's been enough foresight into – what could happen if you just decide to pull the plug on the payroll? And so I, I think you're in this situation partly because of ownership and the way things have, have been operating. And again, I, I feel like I have to clarify so many different things because people will just jump all over me. Oh, you hate ownership. And then other people will say we carry the water for ownership. It never makes sense. But no one's saying the payroll needs to be $150 million. No one's saying payroll and World Series are directly correlated. It's just give yourself some wiggle room. Give yourself some flexibility. And, you know, maybe you could give yourself some flexibility. To, to, if you're not going to sign Lindor, you're never going to sign any franchise player ever to that sort of deal. Because this is, this is the one guy who seems like, yeah, maybe he would be worth it. Yeah, not only is he a great hitter, he plays the middle of the diamond, and he's a transcendent star. One of the most marketable players in a sport that's not marketable. I mean, how, how do you just stumble upon that? And then how do you let him walk out the door? You're speaking from reality. I, I can't necessarily argue with some of the points that you make. I just can't quite remove the thought in my head of how much I would enjoy seeing them try to get it done. Find, sure. a, way, find a way to keep a talent like that part of your organization. Because, yeah, you are going to have to make some tough decisions. It shouldn't have to be so difficult. Though. No, it shouldn't. But, I mean, That's this is it. This is, this is the topic, though. This is, this is where we're at. And they're going to be tough choices no matter what. Letting Lindor walk out the door is a tough choice that you're going to have to make. And there's a there's a shot here that he leaves and all you get is a stupid draft pick. Maybe a t-shirt. And a t-shirt, yeah. I mean, and it's Cleveland, so of course someone will make a freaking t-shirt. So I, I don't know how much different that is than making tough decisions about guys in your rotation down the road. Uh, guys that are talented elsewhere on your roster. I do know that if you think Lindor will age as gracefully as maybe some projection systems will will say, and the, that was included in something I wrote about, just the Zips projections for him look tremendous throughout his late 30s. That's not to say that that's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. But I mean, if it if it goes anything like that, to know that you have somebody in the middle of your diamond that by himself is going to be worth five six wins throughout the the next five six seasons, um, you know, on average. 
it should it should not be as difficult to build around a player like that when you're getting all of your wins or a, a huge chunk of your wins from somebody that plays one position. Yeah, you're paying them a lot of money, but that allow that enables you to not have to put a ton of money into other parts of your roster. You know, not spend a ton of money on first baseman and DHs where you can just pick them up off the street now and they'll hit you 25 home runs. You know, other parts of your roster that they've been filling with with younger pitchers that just continuously are, are falling off the factory line, keep that chain moving and make the tough decisions elsewhere. But at least commit to the star that that we all can agree is is a generational talent, one of the best players to ever wear your uniform. It should not be a conversation that is is just completely dismissed from the jump. It should not be. Yeah, I. It's it's why I'm so curious to see all the posturing that goes on because what what's the front office going to do here? They are normally so tight lipped; they don't leak anything, and. and it might make sense for them to say, you know, if they let's say they let's say the Indians just have a bad season, say it goes wrong, injuries in the first half, um, and they can't recover. Let's say they trade them in July, but before they trade them, do they leak? Hey, just letting you know, like we would have loved to keep him, but we offered the guy ten years for two hundred and eighty million, and he turned us down, and that's. All we could do. It was more, much more than Paul Dolan felt comfortable with, but he was willing to go that high. And so we felt like we had no choice but to trade him. Do you leak that? Maybe you look like the good guy, and maybe Lindor gets the Jim Tomey treatment. I don't think and it's going to work. I mean, there's, well, there's, that's the thing is there's consequences. Then you're going to have people saying, okay, well, uh, you don't have to spend $280 million, but you better spend that money on a Clevenger extension. A Bieber extension, better play in free agency a little bit, better make a trade for an outfielder who's proven and maybe yeah. gets paid a little bit. Like there are there there are consequences to this. Like and so I think odds are Lindor probably walks away looking like the good guy, no matter what happens. But it's tough for the front office because like Chris Antonetti has said, we want to keep him. We want we're gonna put in a lot of effort here. You know, you don't until you know what how ownership feels about it, and the only way we're gonna know is through some fluff piece if he sits down this spring with someone um because it certainly won't be me but (laughs) you're never gonna know and so i it's it's really tough and like the organization doesn't need more bad pr but it's like this is all this is probably headed that direction and they were destined to lose this pr battle no matter what i i just can't unless lindor somehow undergoes a heel turn and takes a chair to the to the city of cleveland and says, screw this city, you guys suck, I'm out of here. I don't think there's really any way that he loses goodwill, that he's going to look like the bad guy going. Fans will say, good, you know, go get what you're, you're, you should be paid. You're not staying here because the ownership didn't grant you that possibility. And that's, I think, maybe not all fans will feel that way, but probably the majority of fans will feel that way. I mean, they'll, they'll be well within their rights to do it. You know, and, and revisiting reality back here for a little bit, my biggest problem is something we've talked about for months now is Lindor, the, the most of us kind of understand that he more than likely is going to be playing elsewhere in a couple of years, at least. But what did you do with the time when you still had him when the clock was ticking? And when you see the payroll going in the downward direction as the, the time is running off the clock, that's not a good message to send to the fan base. Mm-hmm. 
losing Lindor would sting no matter what for the fans. There's, there's no way around that. If he goes elsewhere, if he's wearing a new uniform in 2022, it's going to hurt. But it, I, maybe it would hurt a little bit less if you go, yeah, he, he went elsewhere. But at least I know my team, before he left, gave it every opportunity, every shot they could to put a, a good team around him. It just didn't work out. Or maybe you end up winning the World Series. And then it's like, okay, it's, it's sort of like the LeBron thing where he wins a title and he goes elsewhere. And you can kind of forgive him for that the second time around because you always have that championship to fall back on. Maybe you stumble into winning a World Series before he gets out of here because you put a good team around him. And the problem is the Indians are a good team right now, but they have obvious flaws. We all can spot them. It's not like uh, if they went into the season and had a tremendous roster and then they just were crippled by injuries, you go, okay, what, what, what can you do? What can you do? You, you go the route, even the Yankees last year, where they're just having injury after injury. At, at some point, it becomes too tough to withstand that. But when you see a roster going into the season that everyone agrees what the flaws on this roster is, you know that they're probably only a piece or two away from being right back with the Twins as far as legitimacy in this division going into the season. And you're not addressing those problem areas and the payrolls rolling in the other direction. How can anyone feel good about that? That that you shouldn't be made to feel good about that. And the front office would certainly, you know, Chris Antonetti, Mike Chernoff, and everybody that's that's helping them make decisions. They're not the ones that are just deciding to cut the payroll willy nilly. There are obvious reasons why they're forced to make the decisions that they are, and they have parameters that they need to work within. But man, you have two years left of Francisco Lindor. If you're not taking advantage of the guy that's an MVP caliber talent before this guy pieces out. I don't know how you look at yourself in the mirror. I don't know how you sleep at night knowing that you didn't do everything within your power to make that team as good as it could be before he, before he left. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of why I brought up the whole ownership and the off season stuff and opening day, not being sold out like those. It's all tied together. Maybe not super directly, but it, it all plays into each other. We've harped on that point all off season. It's made no sense. You know, they've been at this crossroads and they've driven straight. Like, it's it's strange. And even after saying all of that, I think we both agree that, like, the team's still good. It could be an exciting season. There are, there are a lot of things I think we're both looking forward to. And, like, the thought of Jose Ramirez being back on his game, Francisco Lindor being healthy at the start of the season, and now Framil Reyes hitting 7,000 home runs with Santana and Cesar Hernandez drawing a ton of walks. Like, the top half of the lineup could be a shit ton of fun. Like, I'm excited to watch how these guys gel and, and, and grow together. Um, so it's, it's weird because there's been so much frustration and negativity around this team, and a lot of it's deserved. Um, it seems like it doesn't correlate with the season that could be at hand. <laughs> no, it's, no. It's I mean, I, and I, thought about, I thought about it this way, too. You know, the fans, it, whether or not this is a – a message to the team or it is all of the the reasons that you laid out why opening day is not sold out i thought about it this way you know <laughs> there were seasons where where this team was shit going into the season it looked it looked bad and you didn't i mean unless just mir- the miracle of all miracles took place the team was probably not going to finish in the postseason and nobody had problems going down and watching opening day so it is weird that you go into the season and you know, you're looking at projections that probably have them somewhere between 87, 88 wins. Um, they're still within striking distance in the, this division. There are, are, are real alternatives here, which could see the Indians taking leaps forward 
in winning this division. It's not crazy to think that they're, they, they could make some noise in the postseason. But going into this season to have this sort of team that has been better than a lot of teams that this city has seen, it's interesting that the, the line is, is perhaps being drawn in the sand when it's this team that is entering the season, which might actually be a better team overall than where they were at a year ago. Let's end on some positivity. I hate that. I hope people don't think that oh, there's this negative podcast again. Like just um, things I have noticed. first hates his haircut. Then he can't stand ownership. <laughs> what is this guy actually well, like? Let me say today's haircut was phenomenal. Um, some positive takeaways uh, from being in Arizona all spring. Number one, Framil Reyes. I, he, the more I thought about it, the more I was thinking he might be the most powerful hitter they've had since Albert Bell. I think 40 home runs is an easily attainable target. He'd be the first Indians hitter with 40 home runs in a season since Travis Hafner in 2006. I think that's, I mean, he hit 37 last year and he was terrible in Cleveland and he played half of his games in the first four months of the season at Petco park, which is really spacious. So I think he can definitely hit 40. His opposite field power is just bananas. Um, yeah. And not only that, the ballpark well, yeah, he he's so much fun. Fans are going to love this guy. Like if Lindor has gone in a year like Framil Reyes should be. I was telling someone with the Indians last week, market the hell out of this dude. He is so much fun. Bilingual. Hilarious. Always shouting at Jose Ramirez, except Ramirez's voice is like four octaves higher than his. It's so much fun. Takeaway number two, Jose Ramirez apparently curses in English on the field he struck out the other day kind of slammed his bat and yelled the f word which was i could hear it from the press box and i was just shocked that he curses in english um but that was kind of cool and number three anthony ghosts he just he looks mean he (laughs) we heard on day one of spring training he does not do the do media He, he rejected I think he was supposed to sit down with it was like early in camp when they all sit down with just stuff for the scoreboard and just the team and maybe sports time Ohio. And I think he refused it. Um, but, yeah. Who would want to talk about the converted outfielder who now throws 98 to hundred miles per hour? I who a, little hear part of me, a little part of me gets it because it's probably the only thing anyone ever wants to talk about. And until the spring, it's looked like it was a failed experiment. I mean, he had his numbers on surface level looked pretty good last year, but he gave up a lot of unearned runs and he also walked 29 and 29 innings. So he said, he told Terry Francona when he got to spring training this year that he finally felt like a pitcher and he's looked like it. I mean, he throws 99 with ease. He's got a nasty slider. And if he's throwing strikes, like there's no reason for him not to be on the opening day roster, except that, He's never pitched above double A and because he's a converted outfielder, he needs repetitions. But like even with that, and that's a pretty big hurdle, I still wouldn't be against him being on the opening day roster given who could be in the bullpen and how they've looked this spring. Like I'd have no problem with it. Uh, Let him get his reps at the major league level. You know better than anybody. He's got to work on that running game, his pickoff move. (laughs) (laughs) These are things that are important. But his stuff uh, shout, is nasty. Shout out to James Karinchek, who I know one day didn't impress one former scout, but from what I've watched, 
Uh, you can see the stuff still looks freaking nasty. And he's breaking off those curveballs that are buckling and breaking people's knees. Uh, just redonkulous. I, I cannot wait to see that guy throw 70 innings at the major league level this year. Think about the bullpen in the second. I mean, the Emmanuel Classe injury is such a downer because you could have had Hand, Karinchek, Classe, Ghosts. And I, th- there's so much volatility there, potentially, with all those guys. But just to have the option of maybe having three guys who can hit 98 on the radar gun and have nasty off-speed stuff to put with Brad Hand back there and then, I don't know, yeah. have Ali Perez junk balling it a little bit and, like, oh, it's the second half and Tristan McKenzie's got an innings limit? Okay, well, let's throw him back there. and Let's throw Jeffrey Rodriguez back. Like, it's, there's still a lot of potential, but I don't know what the road to that potential is going to look like. Yeah, uh, God, it, it could be a disaster. It could be fun. But uh, we certainly might see some guys that can break some p- panes of glass, unlike last year, guys throwing out of the bullpen. Do you have a random Cleveland Indian of the day? I do. Um, this is a recent one. So we'll see how good your memory is. Um, this person pitched for the Indians in 2016. How about that? What? Memorable year. He went two and two. 374 ERA, 21 appearances. Pitched in his career for six different major league teams. God, all I can envision is Miller, Allen, and Brian Shaw pitching all of the innings in the postseason. And I, I could not be any more, to, to a certain extent, you're never going to feel bad for a professional athlete because they're getting paid their money. Uh, but I, I really felt bad for Andrew Miller reading that story about just he, he's completely lost any ability to feel good throwing the baseball. Essentially, is no command of his pitches right now. To go from 2016, where the dude was the Grim Reaper coming out of the bullpen, um, had Blue Jay hitters probably having nightmares and checking under their beds for that dude throughout that series, to where he's at now. Uh, and, and, and we certainly appreciate uh, off the field how engaging he was and only guy i've ever seen that's leaving the clubhouse carrying stuff as he's walking out and turns and sees us and goes hey do you need me turns around comes back puts the crap back down and actually talks to us it's like, what is this guy this guy's a stud reliever and he's actually a nice dude too uh so i was actually kind of sad too. i don't think anthony ghost would do that i'm just delaying uh, the fact that i don't know i don't have any guesses right now all right, so he was a first-round pick by the Texas Rangers in 2007. He pitched for Texas, Baltimore, the Cubs, the Rays, the Phillies, the Indians, all together a 4.08 ERA. He actually might still be, might still be pitching. That's kind of an important little detail. It looks like I'm drawing a blank as right now. Okay, he is actually in camp with the team, but. I don't know if he's going to make the team or I don't know if he's going to be ready for opening day. With the Indians, he spent – so he was with the team. He got injured. Um, they ended up cutting ties with him in August, and he latched on with the Orioles for the last five weeks. I can tell oh, you is how this, he, uh, Is this a uh, righty? It is a righty. Tommy Hunter? Tommy Hunter. So the story was he was – he fell downstairs, right? And injured his... Yeah, that was the word. His, his back or his hip. And it seemed fake, but he had, like, too many details. I, I remember thinking it was fake, and then he described it, and, like, 
Well, that's what a good liar will do. You know, you have to have, you got to look at the details and just give meaningless stuff. So eventually you go, he just knows way too many details. This story has to be real. Okay, it was a non-displaced fracture in his lower back. I think over the All-Star break. Yeah, he was, he slipped on the stairs while carrying his child. I could, that's I right. could see that. I could see that happening. Like your heel kind of gives out and you fall backwards and your, your spine yeah. kind of hits the steps. You exercise muscles that you never really had to exercise before. Like when you first have a child, you, you never quite have to use the muscles that you use when you take an infant in and out of a car seat because you're standing in an awkward place and then you're lifting in a way that anybody that would tell you to lift a box a certain way, like Cody Anderson would certainly tell you it's the right and wrong way to lift a box. You're not doing it properly with the <laughs> child. So after like a couple of months of getting... Uh, when my first son was born or when Ethan was born, I I got to a point where I'm like, why is my back hurting in this one specific area? And then I realized it's because I, when do you ever position your body the way that you do and then get a child out of a car seat and lift it up and bring it and you're trying to be delicate and it's working out muscles that you didn't know you needed. So I, I could see it. I've come around. I'm a Tommy Hunter believer. Are do you, are you aware of Tommy Hunter's nickname according to Baseball Reference? <laughs> I am not. Tommy Tutowel. Okay. Not sure why. I I remember him being a nice guy. I I wrote a story about him and his mom. I, I wish I could remember the details. She. What did she have? Well, the headline says that he wasn't sure his mom would see another Mother's Day. Um. So hopefully she's doing well. This was also four years ago. But he was a good dude. That bullpen was. I mean, remember, they had Jabba Chamberlain for a minute, and then they had to cut ties with him after the 19-inning game, Tommy Hunter. Remember, they went through all those lefties, Tom Gorzolani, Russ, Detweiler. Did they have Rich Hill that year? No, that was 2013. It was before Rich Hill said, oh, I'm going to be good now. They went through I, lefties yeah. that year, too. But it was, and then they finally settled on some guy, Andrew Miller. Uh, it worked out okay, at least in uh, in 16 and 17. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, Spotify. You can help support the podcast over at Anchor, anchor.fm slash Selby is Godcast, like our pal Andrew L. Shout out to Andrew L., who recently became a podcast supporter. Helps keep this podcast going. It's really you guys that, that enable that to happen each and every single week. So shout out this week to Andrew. We see it. We recognize it. We love you for it. So thanks, brother. And remember, if you leave us a five-star review, we would gladly purchase you a frothy beverage um, if we see you in person at the ballpark. Maybe we run into you at a bar. Maybe we run into you on the street and you force us into a bar to buy you a beer. Uh, We owe you. And don't forget that if you leave us a five-star review, we appreciate it. So thank you to all those who have. And remember, like, don't hesitate. If you see me at the ballpark and I'm just minding my own business or pretending to look busy um you know tj sometimes wears one of the the sets of glasses with the nose and the mustache but you know what he looks like so just bug us remind us hey look here i left you guys a five-star review where's my beer and we'll take you to the nearest concession stand and we'll make it happen and if you see zach with his hood up just know that it was because he saw the wrong guy for a haircut again (laughs) for zach meisel i'm tj zoopy we are out of here see you guys The Selbius Godcast featuring Zach Meisel and TJ Zuppi is presented by our supporters at Anchor. 
To help support the podcast, visit anchor.fm slash Godcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, we sure hope you do, be sure to leave us a five-star review. And if you have suggestions, drop us a DM on Twitter at SelbyIsGodcast. Thanks for listening. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline.